I'm going to continue our scripture verse this morning. Uh, back at, we're back in Luke 24. I invite you to turn uh, there in your own text as well. Luke 24, now picking up at verse 28 as we learn the, the end result of our travelers this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. As they, the travelers, came near the village to which they were going, he, being Jesus, walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was walking, while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has indeed risen, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Holy God. Quiet our hearts and minds in this time that we might encounter you anew. Of the many distractions that await us outside these doors, let us take a moment to breathe right here and be refreshed and renewed by your spirit that we might go out of these doors in a few moments to take on the world with compassion, grace, and love. In this time, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on your words be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Jesus said, come forth and receive eternal life. But John came fifth and got a toaster. Man, that's... Nobody caught that joke there. All right, I was, trying, I was trying to break the ice for a second. It didn't work, did it? You know, it's like in a race. If you come fourth, you get eternal life. John came fifth and only got a toaster. There it is. All right, the pity laugh. It's okay. I'm just... I'm in, a, I'm in a weird funk this morning, so I'm trying to break it up for myself. We'll, we'll carry on now. I see I tried a little too hard there. Maybe, maybe next week. Uh, this morning, we are returning to our series on shaping up, following our, uh, our visioning meeting two weeks ago, talking about what it looks like to, to look ahead at the future of our church, how we fit into the world around us, and what it means to be a called people of God interacting with the world around us. And this uh, shape, as we've been calling it, the Spring Hill Avenue Path to Excellence, it's, it's rooted in, uh, in a scripture text coming from 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verse 31. In this, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and says to them, But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Prior to this, Paul is speaking to the church and is, and is identifying spiritual gifts in the church and is talking about how each person is specifically gifted to contribute to the life and ministry of the church in some way, shape, or form, and that in our contributions, we are, we are 
on, the, on this path toward a more excellent way. We are pursuing something greater than ourselves. And so that is what we are, what we are endeavoring to accomplish this morning is to figure out where we are on this path to excellence, where we are on this journey to a still more excellent way. And journeying is a very important verb for us this morning. I really like the word journey and the band, but really the word, and what, and what the connotations have for us as a church. A couple of things we need to know first about journeying is that first, the beauty of a journey is that it takes us from where we have been to where we could be. Journeying is an activity of possibilities. It's also an activity of risk because where we have been is a comfortable place. We know what it's like to be where we are right now. It's comfortable. We can, we can be safe there. But to journey means to move, to go somewhere else, that there is more possibilities out there and we're not really sure of what those possibilities hold for us, and so it's a little unnerving. We don't like to be uncertain about it. Journeying takes us from where we have been to any place that we could be. But those risks are that it could mean we end up at the peak of a mountain or the shadow of a valley. Every time we take a step on a journey, we run that risk. And it doesn't matter what that journey is. It could be your, your day-to-day life. Say you go to work, uh, you go to the same job every day, uh, Monday through Friday and other special occasions, and, and you, take the, you, you get in the same car every morning and you drive the same route every morning because you've learned the, the best path to get to, to, to work. And whenever you get to work, you know exactly what's on the agenda for today. And even though you can know what to expect, there could still be that one little thing that makes that day just the worst or the best day ever. Every time we get out and move, we are creating the possibility that we might encounter something new, something dangerous, or something exciting. And so, because of that, journeying requires a readiness to move. Journeying, this isn't, this isn't anything profound. I mean, it's a, probably the most basic uh, sentence I could have said this morning. Journeying requires a readiness to move. More often than not, if you're not ready to move, then you're not going to go anywhere. If you're not ready to stand up, then you're going to stay seated. If you're not ready to take a few steps, then you're going to stay where you are. It's, you know, that's just as basic as that. Journeying requires a readiness to move. It requires us being able to say, okay, it's time for us to take those next steps, whatever it might be. And truth is, If we don't want to go somewhere new, then we aren't likely to get up and go there. And this path to excellence that Paul talks about in Romans, a more excellent way, it takes us where we may not expect to go. For these disciples, these two travelers, Cleopas and another unnamed traveler, their path took them exactly where they were not ready to go. Cleopas and... uh, His fellow traveler, presumably another disciple of Christ, were walking from Jerusalem along the path to Emmaus, a city that's about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And along the way, their conversation is dwelling on events of the recent couple of days. Here's the backstory. 
Jesus and his disciples arrive in Jerusalem and they start spending time there. And the religious authorities don't like what they're seeing or what they're experiencing. And so they come up with a plan to capture Jesus, to quell his uprising, if you will. And so eventually they succeed. They take Jesus captive. Jesus is tortured. Jesus is interrogated. Jesus is crucified. Jesus dies and is laid in a tomb. And as far as the disciples know, that was the last bit of it. However, they, were, they did just happen to leave town late enough to hear that a couple of women went to the tomb prior that morning and found the tomb was empty. And they said, they, they heard that the women had had a vision of what had happened, but even still, it's difficult to trust what you don't see for yourself, what you don't experience for yourself. And so they are on this walk to Emmaus, dismayed, disheartened, because the person whom they had spent the past however much amount of time with, we don't know how long Cleopas and this unnamed person were with Jesus, but for however long they had been spending together, they just lost everything. Everything that they put their faith in, everything they believed in, everything that they had given their lives to follow was taken from them in an instant. And they're left with the question of, what now? What do we do now that everything is lost? What are we supposed to do? Who are we supposed to be? Our entire identity rested on this guy who was supposed to redeem all of Israel, and he was killed, and now what? Who are we anymore? And so they are dismayed on this journey to Emmaus. And now here's something we need to know about Emmaus. There is nothing extraordinary about Emmaus. It's a normal town. Normal people live there. Normal things happen. These two disciples, not knowing where else to go, decide to return to normal life. Because that's safe. Because that's easy. We know normal life. We know what it means to go back to a, to a nine-to-five job or whatever. Cleopas and the other disciple know what it means to return back to a fishing town, to, uh, to return back to normal life. And so that's what they do. With this, with this notion that what else can they do except for return to normal life? They are dismayed. They weren't expecting what came next. Another such person who encountered a, a similar experience happened to, be, uh, happened to be a person whose name rings very well in the United Methodist Church, a guy by the name of John Wesley. John Wesley, who's the founder of modern-day United Methodism, found... Um, that's a very fascinating life story. God, if you ever get the chance to read a biography on John Wesley, do so. It's, it's kind of shocking, all of the stuff that he went through. Um, it, uh, one of the most memorable life experiences for United Methodists today is the experience that happened to him on May 24th of 17-something uh, at, at uh, a church on Aldersgate Street. And John Wesley had hit a slump. He had been on fire for, for God for, for a long time and was doing all of these things here and there and, and was, was really building up this holiness movement in a way that he wasn't even prepared to, to encounter. But then suddenly something, he just kind of hit a wall. He felt like the fire was gone. There was no more passion. He didn't really know where else to go. And so begrudgingly, he attends this Lutheran church on Aldersgate Street 
And it's at the request of a friend of his, friend told him to come and, and, and visit. And while there, the uh, pastor is reading an excerpt from, Luther, from Martin Luther's uh, introduction to the book of Romans. And it's not, it's not even scripture that, that's being read. It's just an introduction written by Martin Luther. And in this time, John Wesley writes in his diary later on that in this moment, while hearing these words on the book of Romans, he felt his heart strangely warmed. And it was motivation enough for him to get back out there and keep doing what he was doing. Now, this wasn't like the perfect solution. He still had bad days. He still had moments when he wanted to give up. But this key defining moment in which he felt his heart strangely warmed kick-started him back into gear to get back on the journey that eventually leads to United Methodism. But it's a similar experience that the disciples have on this walk to Emmaus. It says in verse... uh, 32. 32. This is after Jesus disappears from his sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning, strangely warmed? This isn't, friends, an instance of acid reflux or heartburn, I don't think, but rather a moment in which they are reminded of who they are, or rather, whose they are. This is a moment in which they are reminded that that both the disciples and John Wesley, in this instant, are reminded of what it means to be a people who belong to the church, to a community that is committed to love and compassion. The disciples were defeated at the notion of uh, the loss of their Savior, and they trek back to normal life. And along the way, they encounter Jesus, Although not knowing that it's Jesus, for whatever reason, maybe Jesus looks different, maybe they didn't look at Jesus, maybe, maybe Jesus' uh, image was just distorted by the Spirit, whatever happened, for whatever reason, they don't recognize that it's Jesus. But Jesus starts opening their eyes on this journey to new understandings. The first was in response to their, them not, not getting the fact that Jesus had to die and, and rise again as an act of salvation. And so Jesus uncovers to them that death is a necessary pathway to new life, that eternal life has to have this starting point, that sometimes things need to change in order for new life to arise. Further into their conversation, actually whenever they arrive in Emmaus, Jesus is going to go on, but the disciples remember something after this long trek, uh, hearing Jesus, the unknown Jesus, unlocks the scriptures before them. They were reminded of what Jesus had been teaching them all along throughout his life and ministry, that Jesus calls us into a transformed community. That Jesus calls us to be, as as the church calls us to be, a people who look different from other people. And so what they do is they they do something very drastic. Drastic is maybe a little too extreme. They invite this stranger to come and stay with them and share a meal with them. I was taught stranger danger, so I I don't know, maybe that lesson predates this, or excuse me, 
postdates this. But they take the stranger and welcome him in and share a meal together. And a, and a meal in, in this day and age is a very important symbol. It's a symbol of community, of identity. It's a symbol of what it means to be together. You don't share a meal with people who aren't like you. You don't share a meal with people you don't want to be seen with. You don't share a meal with people whose status is lower than yours. You share a meal with people who are of equal or higher status than yourself in order to make yourself look better. And Jesus even teaches on this uh, just a couple of chapters before in Luke, saying, if ever you throw a dinner party, don't invite the rich people. Invite the poor people, invite the strangers, invite the outcasts. The people you don't want at the table or you don't think deserve to be at the table are the ones who should be at your table. And I think they're reminded of this and they invite this stranger to come and eat with them. And whenever he breaks bread, their eyes are open to him and they are fully reminded of what it means to be who they are, to be disciples of Christ. They are reminded of, of what it means to be a people who follow after this example of love. But it took the journey to get there. It took the journey from point A to point B to get to this realization. Jesus could have opened their eyes in that very moment he joined them on the path to Emmaus. But rather, Jesus waits until the meal, until after all the teaching is done, until after a seven-mile walk to reveal himself to the disciples because they needed to be reminded of who they are. It took the journey for them to get there. It took the journey for them to be reminded of what it means to be the disciples of Christ. The beauty of a journey is that it takes us from where we have been to any place we could be. The disciples were in a place of brokenness, of hurt, of sorrow. The journey took them to a place of joy, of excitement, of a new fire within them. They had to be willing to go on this journey with Jesus in order to get to this point of saying, normal life can wait. We're going back to Jesus' life. And so what they do after, after all of this has been revealed to them and after they've, they've gotten to this new place and their hearts are burning within them, verse 33, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They went back to the place where it all happened. They went back, even after a seven miles journey, which doesn't seem like a, a very long way, but it was, it's enough to be, uh, to be difficult. And they go back to Jerusalem because they are reminded of who they are. They are reminded along the journey that their life is meant for more than just normal life. Normal life is fine. There's nothing wrong with normal life. But normal life plus Jesus being reminded of what it means to follow Christ, being reminded that Jesus all along has been calling them to a transformed community and to spread this message into the, rest, into the rest of the world, this message of a transformed community, an alternative way of being together, because that's what every single message Jesus has to give in his entire ministry. It's about the here and now. Sure, Jesus touches on, the heaven, on heaven and the great by and by and eternity and all, all, you know, eternal life and all, these great, all this great stuff. 
But Jesus also recognizes that's not here now. Right here and now, we're talking about how we interact with one another. And so every bit of his teaching is trying to, to, to get people to uncover a new way of being together, a new way of being in community with one another. And it took the journey to Emmaus to remind the people, to remind Jesus' disciples of what it means for them to play their part in it. There is a movement that started up a couple of years ago uh, that turned into a, tr- a retreat called uh, the Walk to Emmaus Retreat. And I haven't personally been on this uh, experience, but I know a lot of people who have, and it's a very transformative experience for them in which they are sponsored and supported and they go on this retreat, and it's meant to simulate this moment of, of transformation in which the people go from being where they have been to a place where they could be walking alongside Christ, walking alongside this notion that God has called us to be more, to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And I love this. So this is, this is in Luke's gospel, and it's important to know that this is in Luke's gospel because Luke has, a very, has very key themes that are scattered throughout his book. And one of the key things, themes is journeying. There's the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, the journey from the garden to the cross. There are multiple journeys that happen within uh, the book of Luke. And this journey to Emmaus, this walk to Emmaus, uh, is no exception to it. But the theme keeps going. So the person who wrote Luke, probably Luke, uh, also writes the book of Acts uh, that comes just after the book of John in the order of, of your text. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, the people who eventually be called, become called Christians are first called the people of the journey. Some translations put it the people of the way. Either interpretation is fine. I prefer uh, the, method of, uh, the, the interpretation of, of journeying because it's more central to Luke's theme uh, of, of, of transition, of transformation. But in, I think, five or six different instances in the book of Acts, Christians are referred to as the people of the journey, the people who are willing to take on this experience, the people who are willing to go through whatever may lie on the journey. If you've ever been on a hike or, I don't know, walk down the sidewalk, you know that journeys often have their stumbling blocks, often have their hindrances, often have moments where You just want it to be over, and you've got to ask, are we there yet? And that's good. That's okay. But along the way, we are reminded that Jesus walks with us. We are called the people of the journey for a reason. And it's because the journey is worth it. The journey is where we are transformed. The journey is where we are moved to action. The journey is where we are reminded of who we are and whose we are. Even though the journey can mean ending at the peak of a mountain or the shadow of a valley, even though it requires our activity, our desire to get up and move, even though it means getting out of our comfort zone and going from where we know we are safe into the unknown, Jesus walks with us to get us there as the people of the journey because the journey is worth it. And so the question I want to leave us with today is simply Are we willing to join the journey? Are we willing to be a part of it? 
Are we willing to walk alongside all those who have gone before us and all those who are walking now? Are we willing to join Jesus on this path that may lead us who knows where? Just with the notion that the journey is worth it. If the answer is yes, just remember, every journey requires first steps. Every journey requires a starting point, and it's never too late to take those. But if we are willing to, take, to, to join the journey, then let us be a people who do so with the intent of glorifying God every step of the way. Let us be a people who don't simply return to normal life when we walk outside of these doors, but return to a life filled with Christ, filled with compassion and love. If we do so, let us be a people who do this together, who journey as one, as a community, because that's what it means to be the church, to be a people who journey together. And we do so with the strength of Christ who walks with us. Let us pray together.